The Provoke Podcast, brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Provoke Podcast. This is Arun Sunaman here in Hong Kong. Where else? Can't go anywhere these days. But I'm very happy to be, to be joined today from Singapore by Rupan Desai, who is the global CMO at Dole Packaged Foods. Rupan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Thank you for having me, Arun. How are you doing today? I, I guess that is such a misleading and yet such a poignant question <laughs> of the times we're living in, right? Uh, but to be honest, mm-hmm. look, my family is healthy. I myself am healthy. Uh, while I continue to complain about it, I tend to have work, meaningful work. <coughs> uh, financially, we're doing, obviously we could always do better, but we're doing fine. And given the context of how the mm-hmm. world is and what it's dealing with, uh, the short answer to your question would be grateful. I mean, how am I doing today? I'm, I'm eternally mm-hmm. grateful. Uh, as the world goes mm. through uh, the kind of changes that it's going through. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's, a good, um, it's a good reminder, I think, that uh, even though things are difficult, um, they could be much worse, and they are much worse for many people, many, many millions and billions of people. But Rupin... I wanted to talk to you today, so so thank you first of all for joining the podcast. Am I right in saying this is your first podcast yes, experience? Yes, it is. Yes, it is, and 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 uh, I seem to be at a stage of life where I'm experiencing a lot of firsts. Uh, podcast being one of them. Okay, well, I'll, <laughs> mm, well, it's good to know. I, yeah. I'll try and be gentle with you. Um, I wanted to get you on today to talk about some of the work you've been doing uh, at Dole, first and foremost, but also to talk about your experience. Uh, You're quite unique, I think, in that you spent more than 20 years um, at an advertising agency, uh, Lowe, um, in in various countries around the world. Um, And then you spent, I think, two and a half years at Edelman. Uh, and now, of course, since uh, what it's been about yeah, a year, more a year than a year, a you've been year and a half since you became global CMO at Dole Packaged Packaged Food. So that's quite an interesting range of experiences. There aren't many people, I think, who have have done that kind of ad agency to PR agency to in-house, and certainly not in that order. Um, so we'll come back to that at some point. Um, But let's talk talk first about your work at Dole. You have come out recently uh, with a new brand promise, the Dole Promise, um, whereby Dole Packaged Foods pledges to make nutritious foods accessible for one billion people, move towards zero fruit loss and zero fossil-based plastic packaging by 2025, as well as net zero carbon emissions by 2030. We're seeing a lot of companies making these pledges. How big a development was this for Dole? So, uh, Dole as a brand has been in existence for 170 years. 
and 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 when I joined the business about fifteen, sixteen months ago, there were two things in this in the same spirit of being grateful. There were two things I was usually grateful for. The first was that the business model of Dole always seemed to have a consciousness towards the community it operated in. So across the 170 mm-hmm. years, there were large amount of examples and cases where we uh, we build fences. So we call them social fences in the communities we work in, we operate in, where we go grow the goodness of the earth. We grow, and whether it is schools and education for those that uh, help us with the fruit, basic sanitation, hospitals, and so on and so forth, and therefore. in a lot of areas where our fruits are grown we have generations and generations of community that have played a huge role in the growth of dole and dole has played a huge role back in their life so this was a company mm-hmm. i mean while purpose is a fantastic word that we've been dealing with over the last uh, 10 odd years i think this was a company that always seemed to have been purposeful in the way it had done business in the past mm-hmm. the other thing we we were very grateful was is that we were selling something that was purposeful by itself you see one of my creative mm-hmm. one of my creative partner joke saying look you can literally eat your purpose the goodness of the earth <laughs> has so much amazing nutrition immunity health benefits that uh we could literally literally eat our purpose and and the next immediate so we've always been a purpose we've always been a company that has had purpose inbuilt into it yet we've never spoken about it yet we've never communicated mm. it and we've ne- and neither have we used it as a arsenal to transform the entire organization so the one conscious mm-hmm. decision uh this the, the 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 new ceo of the company pierre luigi uh and a few of us took was the transformation of the company needed to have the 170 year old dna uh in built into it as much as it shapes the next 170 years of this company so when you look at the promises these aren't csr promises these aren't sustainability promises these are actually promises that define the business model for us going into the future we build the promises across three large areas inspired by a, ja- a japanese philosophy called sampoyoshi and sampoyoshi mm-hmm. uh in its simplest form and i'm obviously not an expert on 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 uh japanese culture but at its most basic essence says business is good when business is good for the buyer good for the seller and good for society and 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 taking that to today's time and taking that to build a model of the future uh we started with a firm belief that people planet and prosperity all need to thrive together rather than the cost of each other and once you start putting mm-hmm. them into the six promises that we will hold ourselves to what it does is it starts shaping the entire business not just a csr agenda that is vertically built uh separate to the organization so the way we will grow our fruit 
the way we will innovate, the way we will deal with waste, whether it is fruit waste or planet waste, the way we will deal with processed sugar, the way we will deal with packaging, all of it is a new way of working that as much pays respect to our past and our DNA as much as leaves a different, builds a very different company uh, to some of the other companies that we we worked for or work uh, or compete against. So mm. the promises aren't, and I'm sorry, I'm repeating myself just to make the point again. The promises aren't a sustainability or a CSR promise. The promises are meant mm-hmm. to transform the company internally, transform the way we innovate, transform the products we make, uh, and leave behind prosperity for both uh, the people we serve, the communities uh, we work with, and and the planet we leave behind uh, for your and my kids. Mm-hmm. And how relevant was it or not to do this during the pandemic? Did that accelerate this process? Did it make you feel like you needed to do it now because there are going to be so many people um, struggling in terms of nutrition and in terms of, of uh, people being pushed to the brink of starvation? So Sunshine for All, which is how we've shorthanded our overall purpose to the world, our overall uh, reason for being, uh, starts from a point where each and every one of us is becoming more and more distant from good nutrition. From a time and age and a key... I mean, the caveman era, the cavewoman era, uh, where we lived for the food we ate, it's now becoming food on the go. Unhealthy food is becoming more attractive, more accessible, uh, cheaper, whereas healthy food is becoming more expensive. And, and, and sometimes sometimes living the world of the haves, we forget that not everybody can afford a $14 quinoa salad. You got to feed a family of six people and the only option that tends to be there tends to be unhealthy food. So the way we've always, if we are interpreting yeah. sunshine for all is to make health, nutrition, the goodness of the earth more accessible, more affordable, uh, mm-hmm. more available. The pandemic is actually dividing the world of uh, uh, showing us the cracks that always existed, but also building new cracks of the future. I mean, just during the time of pandemics, if you look at a uh, around the world, the amount of people that will be dealing with food insecurity or not having access to good nutrition is only going to increase. Uh, so... To answer your question about did it accelerate it, it absolutely accelerated. Uh, The need for companies to take a hard look at the gaps happening between all of us and good nutrition, take a look at the systemic issues, the long-term systemic issues that are actually making us more and more distant from good nutrition. And at a time of the pandemic where a lot of companies might be tempted to uh, put profit before the planet, uh, we thought we had to take a stand, 
take a stand quickly, take a stand during the pandemic, because uh, people, planet, have to work together for each other's prosperity. Otherwise, there'll be more cracks and similar such issues uh, in the future. There's, there's, a, there's, there's a saying, there's a saying, there's a saying in business, which is generals always prepare for the last war. And, and you know, the Maginot mm-hmm. line is an example from World War II about generals preparing for the last war. And if we look at all the crises that we've lived with in our, in our lives, it almost feels once the crisis is done that we haven't learned much. And if you believe Tom uh, Roberts and Tom Foolery's The Great Realization, the piece of work that I'm sure has featured in most of our social feeds, 2020 needs to be the year that changed it all for us, where all of us Mm -hmm. as companies, as people, uh, actually took a hard, good look at the cracks of the past, but also start avoiding the cracks of the future. Mm. So like you said, it sounds like it's a lot more than just a company's latest purpose initiative, CSR program. It's a transformation of how the company operates. But that has quite profound implications, if I'm not mistaken. So it will have implications for how you price your products. It will perhaps require you to address your supply chain. I mean, are these all things that you are overseeing from the marketing function or do they require you to work in concert with the other functions in the company? Oh, you're right. These are profound changes and these are changes across the entire organization. So whether it is looking at our supply chain, whether it is looking at how fruit is grown, whether it is looking at how much fruit is wasted, uh, looking at why fruit is wasted culturally, because sometimes it ain't pretty enough or the haves tend to buy much more than they actually use, how fruit is transported, uh, what kind of natural resources is used. So... uh, as well as what kind of innovations we make in making good nutrition accessible, uh, how much of waste can we use to replace some of our packaging, how much of waste is upcycled or recycled. So the list can go on and on. And obviously, as we transform the company uh, and, and, and currently have around, I don't know, 18 mission-based sprints around each of those challenges to solve, Uh, This is a company-wide set of changes and there are a few we lead ourselves Mm -hmm. as the marketing and innovation teams. There are a few where we work closely with our supply chain colleagues. There are a few we closely work with our financial uh, team colleagues. There's a few we work with even external partners. There's a large role in this transformation is going to be played by external partners. And there was this wonderful mm-hmm. moment uh, around during the process of aligning the promises internally where we had to take a very hard call between perfection and progress. 
and and I, I, right. I wish I could tell you that look today we have all the answers on how we are going to get out of uh, fossil based plastic but the short answer is we mm-hmm. don't know it all and therefore a large portion of how we're going to get there is going to be unleashing the power of partnerships whether it is one person mm-hmm. with a dream uh, in a country or uh, whether it is two people whether it is an ip whether it is a startup or whether it is a fully established company currently the best way we are going to do this is collectively through the power of partnerships so we chose mm-hmm. we chose progress over perfection while there are around 80 mission based sprints that we are running within the company on transformation there needs to be at least 180 outside with a whole host of partners so that together we can try and achieve uh both a better company a different company a much more meaningful company but a much more meaningful uh impact of what we leave behind so i noticed that dol packaged foods is an llc and one of the things i didn't realize is that you're op- you're owned now by a japanese company So you're yes, a private right. company. So does it help being private when you want to make changes uh of this scale because I would imagine if you were a public company then maybe you would you would uh meet resistance from shareholders. Uh, yes and no. Yes and no and and the reason it isn't a specific yes or a specific no is is the definition of how you define shareholders and stakeholders for mm-hmm. a company which has the purpose like we do which is we want to bring sunshine to everyone not a chosen few not the ones who can afford it not the ones who have access to it uh, our shareholders and stakeholders start from obviously itochu the financial holders of the business and they've been fantastic in this process uh but the communities we serve the communities that grow the food the communities that are underserved right now and the list of the stakeholders continues all the way down to my 7 year old so the way we always what has helped along the process is when itochu was formed itochu was formed on the principles of sampoyoshi so it's that wonderful term mm. when you google sampoyoshi the first page of the google sheet has as much itochu as it has on meanings of sampoyoshi and when you google it tochu mm. itself you get sampoyoshi in the core belief of how the business was started so what helps is when mm. our past our dna the products we sell the way we've always sold it align as much to the future we want to build so all of that made it tremendously easy now i'm obviously oversimplifying and and being quite generous to the process making these promises uh, require every stakeholder to be involved not just senior stakeholders uh require uh, making these promises and accelerating them during a pandemic increases uh, the angst of the process but because the shareholders the financial shareholders themselves had this inbuilt in their philosophy of the company because it's always been a past of the company because it's always been 
intrinsic to the products we make and how purposeful they are, it was far easier than what it would have been in a lot of other companies. So I think the difference from publicly uh, traded versus privately owned had a lot other dimensions to the ease and the speed at which we could move because the core DNAs were aligned. Mm. Why did you join Dole? <laughs> I'm curious. After 22, 23 years, agency side, um, you decide to go in-house. Look, Presumably you wanted an easier yeah. life. Uh, 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 the reality is I'm an accidental marketeer. This was never mm -hmm. uh, a conscious choice. Uh, and most of my career has been, been built out of serendipity. Okay, so when I, even if I look back at when I joined advertising on campus in B school, uh, you were allowed two offers. And the first offer I got in the morning was from Anderson Consulting, which is Accenture now, paying twice the money. And the people that came in to interview me from Lintas were wearing denim to the interview. So without a single clue about advertising, communication, brands, consumers, I chose advertising because I could wear denim to work. And obviously, 20-odd mm -hmm. years... That's yes. fair, by the way. I think that's a yes. very fair yes. choice. And it paid half the money that Anderson Consulting were offering that day. So obviously, I had mm. the disappointing looks of my mother, who thought I'd lost it all at that point. And you, you know, Arun, how, how Indian mothers can be when they are disappointed in you. Yeah. And, 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 mm -hmm. and, and 20 years later, a whole host of countries later, uh, Edelman again happened completely out of serendipity. Uh, David Brain uh, and I would get to know each other through the business and he basically sold me the idea of the transformation journey they were on and the role I could play. And, and, and mm -hmm. uh, God bless David, but left literally two months after I joined. But again, that was a, that was a choice out of serendipity rather than a conscious choice. And, 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 and as, I was, as I was contemplating the, the move away from PR and Edelman, an ex-client friend of mine, Pierre Luigi, who used to be the CEO for Unilever for Southeast Asia, Australia and New Zealand, and before that was on the Unilever board, uh, ULE, as well as on the Ben & Jerry's board, was contemplating a move to, to be take over as the global leader for Dole. And as it happens, if somebody asks you for advice and there is a little bit of alcohol involved, you tend to spend a considerable set of hours advising Pierluigi on the potential transformation he could bring around, not knowing mm -hmm. that the next morning he would give you a call saying, I'm completely sold on the transformation. This is so exciting. I'd like you to come and run marketing so that we could do this together. So a long mm. story that covers denim and uh, that being a choice to transformation of a PR agency and that being a choice to, to transforming what nutrition and health and well-being means in our life. But I'd be lying 
if any of those were conscious choices i'd be lying mm-hmm. if i knew that this is what i wanted those were made on the back of either people i trusted like david brain uh people i knew i would work together and the combined power would be exponential in its impact and the same reason with pierre luigi uh and mm-hmm. and and the and the, i think the one common strand across everything i've done uh is building purposeful brands so even mm-hmm. at low we were behind a whole host of purposeful brands that unilever is so proud of life boy dolis mm-hmm. good and a whole host of others uh as so with uh, the the two and a half odd years with edelman and as so with what we are building as a purposeful company at dow but mm. obviously this is hindsight 2020 on hindsight and not conscious choices mm. so you spoke at our conference in 2017 i think um you may have been described as a recovering adman yeah. a term i know you're very fond of um and it was interesting what you said on stage though i thought you said i come from a world where attention could be bought where we discuss deep brand engagement fans and loyalty even though none of that connects with consumers in the top down model you also pointed to a study by the world federation of advertisers um which found that people would not care if 74% of the brands they use today disappeared and also found that 60% of the content marketers create is just clutter. Now, maybe you were making some allowances for the audience, the public relations audience. Um but I suspect you still believe these things. Um how much have they influenced the work you're doing at Dole now? I mean, how sorry, the other quote you gave you made was it's it's garbage in garbage out. Consumers don't really care about brands. So if that's the case, how do you market a company? you uh so so the short on yes i believe in each and every one of the statements uh mm-hmm. i think a lot of work uh being made in the space of marketing communications tends to be self indulgent tends to believe uh, too much in itself uh tends to start from a point of intrusion uh from a point of what dollars can buy uh how we can interrupt people's lives and and the last decade has taught us whether it is metaphorically the left swipe and i hope i'm getting the direction right uh whether it is the left swipe metaphorically whether it is uh, uh the tivo whether it is the skip ad that i mean my my f- my my 4 year old daughter knows exactly the moment when her peppa pig is going to be interrupted by an ad mm. so the generation that we are we are we are communicating to the generation that we are talking to knows recognizes and avoids advertising the way it has been created top down interruption led of the past the currencies of brands need to be around authenticity need to be around trust and need to be around attention 
I mean, we mm. we are living in a world where attention is probably the biggest gift a consumer can ever give a brand. Yeah. And to get attention, to deserve attention, consumers, we need to start from a point of view of what is important for consumers rather than what is important right. about uh, the my molecule is bigger than your molecule phenomena of soap advertising of the 60s. So mm. I think the new currencies for brands is the acceptance of 74% of the work we do literally being a lot of waste. Quoting the WFA uh, Harvest study, uh, a lot of work we do having the life, uh, left swipe phenomena and, mm. and, and starting from a point that if we have to deserve the consumer's attention, we need to be of meaning, of impact, of utilitarian value for the consumer in the life that he or she lives in. So starting from a cultural first conversation, starting from what really matters for consumer, why he or she should even give us three seconds of her attention, of her trust, uh, is a far better starting point for all the brands. Uh, we can call it earned attention, and that's what we do at Dole. So a lot of work that is created hmm. at Dole takes all of these principles uh, so that we are not relying on the size of the media budget or our ability to interrupt or different avenues to interrupt rather than trying to earn consumers' attention and consumers' trust. Mm. Well, that will be music to the ears of public relations people, of course. Um, I'm conscious that you spent... I think 10% of the time you spent at Lowe, you spent at Edelman. Um, but I'm also curious to know how much your time at Edelman perhaps changed have you, how you view this kind of equation, if at all. Because, of course, as you yourself put it, when you were at Lowe, you were at a world where the prevailing thinking is that attention could be bought. You moved to Edelman where the thinking is we have to earn the trust of stakeholders, all of them. And maybe we can look at how we can deploy creativity and maybe we can look at how we can buy media, for example, as, as a means to that end. Did, would you say your time at Edelman changed how you think absolutely. at all? Absolutely, absolutely. I think... And I don't think, so. Ab, sorry, uh, absolutely. I think the ability to appreciate multi-stakeholder engagement, the ability mm. to appreciate the value of conversation, the impact and the currency of trust authenticity. Uh, Edelman and my journey through Edelman helped me tremendously. Mm. However, I don't think it is an advertising versus PR conversation. If you look at some of the best work ha happening in the world around earned attention, you need to look at Droga New York's showreel. 
Okay, now yeah. now now we no may question. label them as an advertising agency versus a PR agency, and I think that labeling is 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 where a lot of the companies might actually find works against them. Some of the best earned work, and 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 we've debated this in the past over who does the best work or the PR awards, okay, or who does mm. the best work or who won the Grand Prix and the Titanium in PR awards. And and in nine times out of ten, there tends to be somebody that is not usually labeled as a PR agency. And I think once you put the mm-hmm. labels away, you will find companies that believe in earned attention, earned trust, earned authentic conversations. And 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 I don't think any label of the company you are allows you either easy access or no access. But some of the best work happening mm-hmm. in the world today uh, is coming from companies that believe that we need to talk about attention, we need to deserve consumers' attention, we need to deserve their trust, and we need to be able to have multi-stakeholder conversations around what the company does, rather than what the company wants to talk about. Mm. But it does matter to an extent, right? I mean, you would have known that from your time at Edelman. There's been a, a big push to try and redefine what an agency can do because there is this feeling that unless it can position itself more effectively, it won't be able to play that kind of lead brand-building role. Maybe it won't get access to the bigger budgets that come with that. Often, PR agencies, maybe because of their labeling, are consigned to a support role. Now, you have hired a few agencies at yeah. uh, Dole. Um, you have, is it 72 and Sunny? No, it's Campbell Ewald, no. out of LA. Campbell Sorry, yeah. Campbell Ewald. I, I, I felt like because of the Sunshine <laughs> thing, 72 and yes, Sunny would have yes. been just the it's, ideal agency yeah. for you. It's Golan, yeah, for sure, Golan. right? And, uh, Spark uh, Foundry. So we work with Spark Foundry. Mm-hmm. We work Spark with Foundry. a whole host of creative boutiques as well. So there was an agency called mm-hmm. uh, TBD, which Rafa recently yeah. shut down okay. and went to join BBH. We work with a New York-based boutique agency, which is Lanfranco Cordova. Uh, okay. And in your with your current portfolio of agencies I mean do you feel for example that the PR agency can lead creative yeah I mean creative is not the bastion of the label the company comes with creative shouldn't Mm -hmm. be the bastion I mean the idea the idea and it also depends on what we seek out of our agency part Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, so it, uh, at a at a at a principal level, I think creativity isn't the bastion or the ownership of any one particular label, and can come whether internally from the team, a whole host of ideas uh, in that we're doing right now come from the media partner, come from uh, some of our PR partners, and 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 we have more, not just Golin. Uh, uh, they come from our creative partners. Sometimes they come from our partners who are helping us transform our packaging. 
mm-hmm. or they come from the field or they come from consumers. So I think as we go out to seek consumers' attention and trust, I want to avoid a world where there is a clear role of where does the creativity come from. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. From your time at Edelman, though, this is an agency, for example, mm-hmm. and I use them as an example, not, not just to speak specifically about them necessarily, but they are engaged on this transformation. And it's a transformation that really the whole, especially the bigger agencies in the PR industry, to some extent or another, have been trying to make to become more, I don't want to use the word more creative, but to be seen as a kind of agency that can be entrusted with brand building, with CMO budgets. As a CMO now, as an ad agency person before, how difficult, how realistic is that transformation? So again, I I don't want to speak about Edelman in specific uh, Mm -hmm. at all. But I think the best definition of a strategy is reflected in the in the in the vertical investments they put their money on. Hmm. I mean, and, and and this is something I picked out of a Bain a conversation with with Bain, uh, which is strategies are strategies, and the best way to define somebody's strategy is retrospectively look at uh, where the numbers of investments lie. Mm-hmm. And I think... So you mean the, the value yes, as well? Yes, both. The both. amount of money, so, of course. Uh, uh, how yeah. much of okay. your own money you're putting behind mm-hmm. uh, what you're building? And that is relevant mm-hmm. to even us as we build a different set of mus- mem- memory muscles at Dole to the existing ones we have. And, and, and therefore, if there isn't a substantive amount of investment behind the new memory muscles, there isn't a serious amount of proof to show around it, there isn't a serious amount of, uh, of, of signposts and lampposts as one goes through the journey, uh, then it just ends up becoming talk. Talk. Is it as simple as hiring a lot of senior people from the advertising industry. No, 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 no. And we all, we all know as we look at different companies making a transformation. I mean, we have advertising agencies hiring uh, from PR, PR people. people. <laughs> we have them hiring uh, from digital consulting businesses. Now, when I look at Ogilvy, mm-hmm. uh, when I, uh, I mean, it's it, everyone's hiring from everybody else in the zeal and the wonderful belief that that's the easy solve. And, and, mm. and, 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 and it's also the everyday question that all of us face, which is how much of our revenue comes from uh, transformation A versus transformation B? And how much mm. of investment do we put between transformation A versus transformation B? Because unless the core is willing to evolve itself, uh, any new person yeah. will come in, get disappointed themselves, be a disappointment for the uh, for the system, and get flushed out one way or another. So I think I think yeah. right. It's 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 how much do we allow ourselves to change uh, has to be a mm-hmm. predetermined before what do we need from the outside. 
But that's so hard, isn't it? I mean, I just, you know, the, the, the prospect of trying to change an existing, whatever it is, 50-year-old model, um, without necessarily the revenue to support it, it's, it, it is hard. I, although, having said that, it's the kind of thing that agencies had to grapple with, to some extent, when digital came along, too. If it was easy, all of us would be continuing to stay wonderfully relevant. Mm. Uh, do I yeah. do I even and if I sound like I know how it's done, I should apologize uh, because I don't. But we're trying to figure it out ourselves at all. Uh, mm-hmm. And and we will make. I'm sure hundred plus mistakes if I haven't made them from morning till now already. We'll we'll learn along the way. But we are unwavering in the commitment that there is only one way, which is to increase access to good nutrition to everyone. And mm-hmm. and therefore will we turn every day will be let's turn a twenty percent left to what we originally thought, or twenty percent right, or or stop here or fail forward or learn or be frustrated, but as long as, as long as, and what I love about, about Dole is every leader mm-hmm. has one and only one commitment, which is how do I increase access? How do I reduce waste around good nutrition to as many people that need to have it around the world? Mm. Uh, Okay, so before we end, I just wanted to ask you, obviously, about this um, the, the push for change we're seeing in the uh, in the marketing and communications world, particularly on the agency side. But you know, you're someone that did spend more than twenty years agency side um, as it relates to diversity and inclusion, as it relates to. Black, the Black Lives Matter movement um, in the US and the UK and actually in many countries beyond that now. Now, when you were at Edelman, at least, you were one of the most senior people of color on a global basis. Um, first of all, how long overdue are these changes? So as a man replying, as a man replying to that question, I need to start mm-hmm. by apologizing to all the women leaders because mm-hmm. we're in 2020 and we're still having this conversation which should be unacceptable to all of us. Uh, and and as, you, as you take the entire uh, inequalities around color, around gender, uh, as well as nutrition, None of this should be acceptable. Okay, I, I, I remember seeing a placard on one of the social feeds saying, I can't believe I'm 66 and still holding this placard. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, but at the same time, this issue is systemic. This issue mm-hmm. isn't about hiring a knee-jerk reaction to let's hire a person and put them as the chief diversity officer. Mm. I mean, uh, we have to take cognizance of the fact that the the problem is deep-rooted, it is systemic, 
it is born with years and years of uh, both conscious and unconscious biases. And therefore the solutions need to be equally deep-rooted and systemic rather than a knee-jerk, what can I show the world? Mm. So we're working very closely currently with the mayor of Jackson on a pilot. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jackson is probably one of the most unequal places in the U.S. between food and feed. It is one of... Mm -hmm. Yes, Jackson, Mississippi. Jackson is one of the most unequal places between food and feed. Jackson is also... Uh, quite lopsided in terms of the ethnicity of its population, how many people have access to good food, but then the inequality as it spreads out, whether it's economic, whether it is nutritional and beyond. And in the mayor of Jackson, we found a wonderful partner that wants to attempt a systemic change. We obviously come in at it from the inequality of nutrition because food can make help make a lot of things more equal. And we are currently going through, working through the pilot with a whole host of wonderful partners on the ground. And we'll continue to do this, learn from the pilot so we can take this to 20 such Jacksons, 200 such Jacksons, 2000 such Jacksons around the world. Because such issues need to be sold systematic, I mean systemically, and, 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 and at the source rather than a knee-jerk uh, headline announcement uh, which, is, which, which, only, which only works against the entire issue by being seen as tokenism. Mm, yeah. And that, I think that is the big risk, certainly on the agency side as well. Um, given your own experiences, um, you know, whether it's in terms of conscious and unconscious biases, whether it's in terms of microaggressions, whether it's in terms of opportunities, inclusion. Do you feel like the message is really getting through on the agency side? I'll, I'll answer my own personal experience rather than, rather than try and pretend yeah. I know what the agency heads. Uh, though I am, I am extremely, extremely grateful for, for how IPG and Michael Roth has taken a leading stance on it mm-hmm. way before uh, uh, this was pointed out to be an issue that needed to be, uh, needed to be uh, mm-hmm. resolved. So, yeah, before it was yes, fashionable. Yes, and I think, I think in that... My, uh, and I remember, and I was a member of the IPG group in, in one of their agencies at that point in time. And, 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 and the breakfast briefings, we would talk around in Cannes at Hotel Martinez. Uh, and I'm talking about 10 years ago. I'm not talking about mm. now. So, so that notable uh, effort I should, I should recognize and lord and talk about. But other than that, I shouldn't pretend to know what goes on inside an agency holding company head. What I can tell Mm -hmm. you is in my career, I have had moments where either directly or indirectly I've been told, you should move to the HQ. The next big phase of your career can happen whether you come down to the UK or move to the US. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's the next big phase. And and I always Mm. used to find it fascinating saying, why do I need... If we're a global company, 
and I've only worked in global companies all my life. If we're a global company, why do I need to be closer to the center of power? Why do I need to reside amongst a lot of people of a certain color? Why must I work in a people? Right. Okay, yeah. why does... And I have always found that both worrying uh, and, and, mm-hmm. and, and, and concerning. And... So it's and it's exclusionary. It is, and, and if this is the messages we pass out, saying that at a certain level of a certain leadership, you need to be mm. in Chicago, or you need to be in yeah, New you York, need to go west. or you need to be in London, because uh, Lowe mm. was a London headquartered agency for the longest time before it got merged with Merlin. You need to be mm-hmm. in London. Uh, it passes a certain message, whether we like it or not, that we can avoid particularly at a time when all of these companies are talking about Asia is my real growth of engine. So somewhere they're not adding yeah. up in my own personal experience. So we'll, we'll take the money, but, but uh, if you want to be taken seriously, you have to come I in. always used to find that troubling as I grew from a management trainee. Uh, I don't know if I grew or not, but at least my titles changed. Uh, <laughs> uh, as as I, as I moved through different business cards and different titles, I always used to find that or very troubling. Mm. I must say, I have not. This is an issue that it's 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 kind of now you mention it makes complete sense, but I have not consciously considered it, and I've not heard anyone bring this up really. I've not had any agencies suggest this is an issue that needs to be addressed within this context of diversity and inclusion, but it does. No, it's um, just the messages we send out could be so harmful to the larger effort we all need to, to take. Yeah, you're right. And I think, well, thank you for raising it, because now I'm going to uh, make sure it gets... Uh, it gets more consideration, actually, because I, I think you're right. It, it does send out um, a, a worrying message, let's say. Rupan, I think I've taken up a lot of your time already. Um, so let me thank you. This has been uh, a fascinating conversation. I feel like we could go for longer, but maybe we'll have you back on the podcast sometime soon. Um, take care. Stay safe and good luck with your recovery from being an admin. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me, Arun. Thank you so much for being the landmark first podcast in my life. Now, that's something nobody can ever take away. <laughs> that's true. Hopefully not the last. Uh, uh, yes, hopefully not the last. Uh, uh, and, 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 and thank you for having me. This has been wonderful. As you know, I always enjoy uh, chatting with you, whether it is on a podcast or, or with a glass of beer. So till the time we can do this <laughs> together yeah. with a glass of beer, thank you very much. Mm, I look forward to that. Take care, everyone. Thank you all for listening and stay safe. You've been listening to the Provoke podcast, brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers. Marketeers.